morning, and uh, we are uh, continuing our series entitled Jesus Worth Following. But before I get into that, a couple of things. I want to say a big thank you to Joe and Bonnie Gasper. Joe's the brother that did the welcome this morning, shared about his Aunt Rita. And um, we uh, are thanking them because they are our champions for our annual family camp. In other words, they do all the work for that, put it all together. It's a tremendous uh, event every year. We're grateful to them. Thank you so much. We've given them a small gift before service, but we, we want to recognize you and say thank you. Also, uh, want the church to be aware that uh, next Sunday we will not be here for worship. We will be at the Moore Park Country Club. And if you're visiting, you don't know where that is, you can go to our website, seemingchurch.org. It's on the counter, which is on the front page of the website. The address is there. You can Google map it, whatever you need. But church will be 10.30 a.m., Moore Park Country Club, and we will have a combined service with the Shoreline Ministry. So that's always great to be able to reconnect with our friends down in Oxnard, Camarillo, Ventura area. Church starts at 10.30. Coffee will be available at 9.30. We really want you to come early to have some great fellowship and enjoy a great time of worship. After that service... We're going to have a worship champs slash ministry meeting. Let me be clear on what that is. That is for members of the church that are not in the worship team because they've already had their meeting. But this is for those of you that just have an opinion about worship, songs we sing, what we do for worship, ideas you might have. And what we want to do is give you a forum where you can throw those ideas up and give them to the people who can do something about it, which is our worship team champs. That's specifically Christian, Peter Wade, and Dave Rabizzo down in Shoreline. Those three brothers will be available. They'll be at the meeting. You're able to meet with them, give them your thoughts. It shouldn't take more than a half an hour. The idea is just to give you an avenue if you have some opinions. And again, it's for those of you that aren't participating in the worship team. This is your way in which you can speak to what we do for worship. So that'll be Next Sunday, right after church, uh, right there at the Moore Park Country Club. If you're interested, you're welcome to come to it. If not, if you enjoy what we're doing, that's totally fine as well. Then also, the staycation, the high school staycation, is that weekend. So a lot of the kids will be getting together on Friday night and spending the whole weekend together. And then the staycation will conclude at that worship. So parents, you can literally drop your high schooler off on Friday and then they'll just be there magically Sunday morning when you come to church. And you can just take them home. How great is that? So uh, that's coming up as well. So we're really excited about all the different things we've got going on. You know, as a church, our mission is to love and to live like Jesus. And whenever I preach or Geo preaches, our goal is always to help form Christ in us and, and you. If we're ever going to love and live like Jesus, we're going to have to become like Jesus. And that was what we talked about last time in my message, becoming like Jesus, not just doing things, but becoming like Jesus. Today, we're going to talk about putting God first. So there were these three guys and uh, they were, they were pretty sinful guys. I mean, they, they lived the party life. They were carousers, uh, rambunctious, uh, just wild type of guys, partied it up lived their life however they wanted to live, and they were driving in a car one night, and they got into an accident. All three of them died. So they, uh, they came to, and they were in hell, 
not surprisingly, and they went to the orientation meeting for hell. The, when all new incoming people to hell, they have a meeting. And during that meeting, the demon that was in charge that was running the meeting allowed them to watch their funeral. They got to see their bodies in the casket and then family and friends, you know, mourning and grieving and, and sharing about them. Unfortunately, though, not a lot of real positive things were said about them. And people were trying to put a good face on it. But, but you know, they knew that they that they had really wasted their life in their sinful lifestyle. So, of course, the demon, loving that, said to them, now that you guys know the mistakes you've made and the, the regretful life that you've lived, if you could do it all over again, and if you could, you could watch your funeral after you've had a whole second chance at living your life, what do you wish people would have said about you? So the first guy said, well, you know, I really regret how I lived, and man, I really see that I was wrong, and I wish if I could do it over again, I wish people would have said about me that I was a, a great family man, that I was a, a faithful friend, and that I was faithful to God. The second guy said, you know, I wish people would have said about me that I was a good husband, that I treated others fairly, that I was an excellent teacher, and I taught young men and women right from wrong. And the third guy thought about it for a minute, and he said, you know, I wish people would have said, hey, look, he's still breathing. <laughs> you know, heaven and hell are a reality. And the key to going to heaven is putting God first in this life. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you so very much for bringing us together. I pray that your spirit's with us and fill us and empower us now. Help us to see great things in your word. Let Jesus speak to us this morning and really move in our hearts to help us to see the need to put you first in all that we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. So Jesus is in an area known as Perea, and he's making his way to Jerusalem. This is something in the last few months of Jesus' life, which is what we're now focusing on in the Gospel of Mark, he did a lot of. He went kind of in and out of the area of Judea and the city of Jerusalem. And on one occasion, he was making his way into the city, and a man approached him, fell on his knees. He was clearly a sincere and genuine person, and he cried out, good teacher, and he asked the question, the biggest question we all want to know, what does it take to get to heaven, to, to experience eternal life? Now, Jesus, before he answers that question, has a question for the man. He says, why do you call me good? That's a term that's reserved for God alone. Are you, by calling me good, acknowledging that I am from God? That's really what Jesus was asking him. Are you willing to acknowledge who I am, that I am a prophet or someone who's come from God? Because if you do, then you should be willing to accept whatever answer I'm about to give you. You know, it's interesting, but a lot of people call themselves believers. 
But just because you call yourself a believer, and you might even be very sincere and authentic about it, that doesn't mean you are a believer. Because according to Jesus, there's more than just belief. It must be accompanied with obedience, with an action, an obedience to the commands or the teachings of God. Verse 19, you know the commands. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. So Jesus, in responding to this man's question, is giving him the answer to the question. And, and he begins by referencing the Ten Commandments. We all know the story of Moses and the Ten Commandments. He went to Mount Sinai, and God gave him the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. And specifically, Jesus is referring to the last six of the Ten Commandments. Those are the ones that he quotes there, Commandments 5 through 10. And they all have to do with how we treat each other, our relationship from, with man to man. The, the, the person here is excited, and he interrupts Jesus. I've done that since I was a boy. Now, I want you to pause for a second, because we need to get into sort of the, the mind frame of a Jew in the first century. And you're going to find out that it's not, not too different from sometimes the way we think today. At that time, it was very common to, to uh, see personal wealth or or successful uh, life as a blessing from God. Because the idea was if you obeyed God and did what God said, God would bless you. And so they associated reward or blessing with a godly lifestyle or someone who was doing it right. And that's not too different from what we do today. We tend to think of people who are successful as doing it right. And you can see here why the guy gets excited because he's been doing this since he was a child. He's being blessed by God. He goes to the only prophet he knows of who's alive in his day, Jesus, and he says, what must I do? And Jesus seems to be saying, hey, you're on the right track. Do what the commands say. And he was really thrilled about that for about one second. You ever have that happen to you where you're... You're just so excited, and then all, all, it all just falls through the floor within another instant. I am a rabid UCLA football fan. Yeah. And the problem with that is that every season you start off with great expectation, and by the third game, we are just in the gutter. Yeah. It's terrible. It's a terrible existence. I couldn't sleep last night after watching the game. I was in tears. I was yelling. I had it recorded two in the one o'clock in the morning. I'm yelling at the TV, which is what I do every year, because my hopes just get crushed every year. Jeez. Now, that is a sin, and uh, you're asking me to do sin, and I can't do that. So, his joy was short-lived, because Jesus said one thing you lack. So he went from, you know, top 
to bottom all in about one second here. And what was it that he lacked? Well, Jesus tells him to sell everything he has. Not just sell it, but give it to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. At that, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. You know, success, the blessing of God that this man had, had, had worked for his entire life was not his problem. His problem was a lack of obedience to the will of God. You see, when Jesus referenced the Ten Commandments, you, automatically you have to include the first four. He may not have mentioned them specifically, but it's definitely here in the interaction. And the very first commandment of the first four, which have to do with our relationship with God, the very first one is what? Who knows what it is? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's commandment number one. This guy could not do that. For all his sincerity, for all his authenticity, for all his effort and all his work and being a good person and all of his godliness and righteousness, he fell short because he couldn't put God before his wealth. Let's, let's make one thing very clear here. There is nothing more important than putting God first. There's no more important decision you can make in your life other than to put God first in your life. First before anything and anyone. Verse 23, Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Jesus makes two of the most striking statements in all of the gospel. So striking that his own disciples were amazed, not once, but twice in one conversation. By the power and the authority of his words. And let's be very clear here. Jesus is talking about wealth. We do a lot to try to expand this and to stretch it to other things. And, and I think there's a, there's a point and a time to do that. I'm not saying that's wrong, but let's not forget that he's specifically talking about wealth. Yes, there's an application we can stretch, but let's not take it too far and get too far from the passage. And this was something that shocked the disciples because, again, they viewed wealth as a blessing from God. And so for Jesus to say the very blessings that you seek to have, that you strive for, that you view as a sign of your godliness before God or your reward, they're the very things that are hindering you from putting God first. So why is it hard for the rich? I'll let you think for a second and then throw out some answers. Why is it hard for the rich. Yes. 
you can afford a lot more distractions. Yes? You feel like you don't need God. Just self-reliant. Never enough. It changes how you view other people. I think all those things are true. I, I absolutely think they, they apply. But here's the question I want to ask you. Does God not like rich people? So it's not that God doesn't love rich people. In fact, in this passage, Jesus looked at the man and loved him. God loves everyone, rich or poor. God doesn't ma- it doesn't matter to God. But wealth... Success, blessing, can sometimes become a hindrance to us for all the reasons that were mentioned and even more. But I want to go a step further. I want to tell you why I think wealth gets in the way. And I'm going to, I'm going to share it with you like this. A few years ago, we went car shopping for my son, Kelly, to get him a car, his first car. And we bought a 1998 Chevy Blazer. A couple grand. We thought it was a great deal at the time. He's had the car about two years now, and over the course of two years to keep the car running, we have invested into that car between four and six thousand more dollars. And currently, the car is parked in front of my house where it hasn't moved for two months. And I, every day, walk by that car and I think, why is it still here? I want to light it on fire, I want to push it off a cliff, I want to call the junker and have him come and pick it up, but guess what? I don't. And you know why I don't? Because I'm invested in the stupid thing. I've put six grand into that stupid car, somewhere around that, and it's so hard to let it go. Why does wealth get in the way? Because we're invested in it. We're pouring our heart, our blood, our sweat, our tears. Whether we've earned it or we've inherited it, we get to this point to where we feel like it's ours. And it's so hard to let it go. You know, money isn't the only thing we invest in. We invest in people. I really want this relationship to work. I want it to work so bad. I put so much time, so much energy in it. No, God, not right now. I got to make this work. We invest in ideas. No, God, I have this idea, and I want to make it happen. It's going to change my life, and it's going to help other people. And it could be a good or a bad idea, but we invest in it. And then God becomes a secondary consideration. And the idea becomes the primary consideration. We invest in lifestyle. This is the way I am. This is the way I was born, and I'm committed to it, and I'm going to defend it till I die, even over and above God. Political views, you name it. We invest in all kinds of things, and it's that investment that competes with our investment in God. So Jesus makes this point. He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle What he's saying is it's literally impossible if you are invested in something so great that it supersedes your investment in God. It is impossible, impossible to receive eternal life. Somebody in the 19th century came up with this completely fabricated idea that the eye of a needle was a reference to a gate in the city of Jerusalem. 
And, and they, they fabricated this whole story that this was a gate that was smaller than any other gate. And, and so a camel could get through it, but it had to get down on its knees and be led by a handler through it. So it wasn't impossible for the camel to go through the eye of a needle. That's a complete fabrication. Why did they fabricate it? I don't know. But the only thing I can think of is because they were trying to lessen the intensity of this passage. They didn't like that it was impossible to get to heaven. The truth is they had camels and they had needles, actual needles, and they actually did thread them. And Jesus was talking about a real camel and a real needle, and he was making the point this is impossible. This is impossible. You cannot get to heaven when you're invested in something more than your relationship with God. It's an impossibility. And the disciples were amazed. And they actually said, well, then who can be saved? And what's the answer? No one. That's the answer. That's the point. No one can be saved except by the grace of God. It is only by God's grace that any of us stand here saved before the Lord. So here's the point. Eternal life is a gift. It cannot be earned. And only those of us who invest in God will receive it. Only those of us who make God our first and primary investment will receive eternal life. And that's true for me. That's true for you. That's true for the very first new, brand new person who just walked in today. I don't care how long you've been a Christian or how short you've been a Christian. This doesn't change. How are you doing with your investing? Is God your first and most important investment? You see the first priority of your life. The good news is, is that you can change. If the answer is no, the good news is you can change. You can, you can begin investing. If you've never done it before, it's okay. God's really good at compounding the interest and making it awesome. But the issue is we have to start investing in God first. Number one. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. You know, digging into the Gospel of Mark like we've been doing has really enriched my personal understanding of the Gospels. I love it. 
and just, just going back to it on a regular basis has really helped me, and hopefully it's been beneficial to you. Hopefully you know what Palestine looks like in a very basic, simple map. Hopefully you know where Galilee is and Judea is by now and the distances, and hopefully you're learning a little bit about the different areas Jesus was and, and where he went, and hopefully we're picking up little things from his life over the course of this, this series. I hope that's what's happening. I hope sort of the space repetition of it is getting into us. It is to me. And there's something here that really jumps out at me. When I read this section, I, I actually chuckled because I realized something that I know you, you probably didn't realize, even though we've talked about it. It's, it's interesting that it's Peter who said, we've left everything. You see, we have an impression of the disciples as being poor. We tend to think of them as poor fishermen. But the reality is some of them were actually pretty wealthy. Maybe, maybe, I don't know how wealthy by comparison, but they were well off. Peter, in particular, may have been the most well-off of the whole group. He was a fisherman. He had a fishing business. He had a partnership with the father of James and John. He was pretty successful. He owned the biggest house in the city of Capernaum. Beachfront property. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's hilarious that Peter turns around and says, we've given up everything. I've been with you for three and a half years, Jesus. I walked away from my business and all of that stuff, and you're telling me now, after three years, that I'm not going to make it? This isn't worth it. Have you ever felt that way? You've been a Christian any length of time? Have you ever said to yourself, this isn't worth it? I have. I have felt that way. All the sacrifice... The constant tithing, the giving to special, I could buy another car that I could dump six grand into, I could do other things with that money, all the getting up and going to midweek or going to family group or church every Sunday, all the stuff that I deny myself when everybody else is just doing whatever they want, and there's a point in time where you start going, is it worth it? And then people give you a hard time, and then you got to deal with personal conflicts and interactions, and then I'm a minister, and then, I, then it's like, okay, i got to herd cats everywhere we go, and I'm pushing rope all the time, and that's what it feels like. I'm not blaming you. It's just what it feels like. And so <laughs> there are many times where I go, this is not worth it. What's in it for me? And that's literally what Peter is saying. Cross-reference Mark chapter, Matthew chapter 18, verse 27. I'll just read it. We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? That's literally what Peter said. What's in it for me? Well, there's good news. Jesus interrupts him. No one who has left homes, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this age. Homes, brothers, sisters, children, fields, I, you know, he's repeating it. Along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus is telling Peter, he's not rebuking him, he's telling Peter, it's worth it. I want to say to you, church, all the difficulty, all the struggle, all the sacrifice, all the frustration, all the working out conflicts with people, it's worth it. Jesus never takes from us what he doesn't give back, restored, renewed, glorified a hundred times over. It's worth it. 
thank God that Peter wasn't rebuked. If you remember our series, like three or four interactions before this, he kept getting rebuked. Finally, he gets a little pat on the back here. Hey, don't give up, Peter. He's getting his, he was getting his, whatever, I can't say that. But he was getting himself in trouble. And he kept getting rebuked. And now here's finally a moment where Jesus goes, don't give up, Peter. It's totally, totally, totally worth it. And that's what I want to say to you. It's what I need to hear today. It's times over and again it's worth it nothing compares to the wife I have because I'm a disciple to the children I have because of my faith in Jesus to what I do for a living to the friends I have to the purpose I have nothing compares I can't imagine what it would be like without it what would I be like I would look like the rest of the world. It is so worth it. I hope you feel that way. I hope if you weren't feeling that way, you feel that way now. I hope you can walk away today with the words of Jesus ringing in your ears that it is worth it a hundred times over. So those three sinners, (laughs) they realized a little too late that they should have put God first in their life. But the good news is it's not too late for you and I. So let's leave here and put God first. Amen. So as I said before, next Sunday will be at Moore Park Country Club with uh, the Shoreline Church, 1030, coffee at 930.